podcast about morality and politics with Michael Bank Peterson and Oliver Scott Curry. Okay, uh, well, hello and welcome everyone to this, the fourth episode of The Map, uh, where Michael and I talk about morality and politics. And this week, this episode, uh, we're going to be talking about disgust, what dis- what is disgust and what's the role of disgust in morality and in politics. So, Michael, let's start with a basic question. What is disgust? So disgust is an emotion, which means that it has uh, visceral bodily components uh, to it. It has cognitive components uh, as well. It is uh, widely believed to be one of the so-called uh, basic emotions, which implies that it is sort of a uh, universally felt emotion. Everywhere we would uh, meet other humans, they would have some recognition of the emotion of disgust. They would uh, have similar face expressions, uh, facial expressions as we have when they feel it. Um, and the sort of normal argument for why we have this uh, emotion of disgust is in order to avoid contaminated uh, substances, for example, uh, poisoned uh, food or contaminated uh, food and so forth. Is it, and is it, is it just contaminated food or is it sort of, I thought it was kind of pathogens in general, to- toxins and pathogens and noxious substances in general, including pathogens from other people? Sure. So uh, in in general, uh, one argument is that disgust is a core emotion of pathogen uh, avoidance uh, psychology, which means that the disgust system is uh, sensitive to all sorts of cues of pathogens. So contamination uh, in food is one. Uh, rashes in the face of uh, conspecifics is another one. So pathogens in in general. Um, But I also think that it serves a a function beyond uh, just pathogens. For example, also, um, if you are uh, in in other ways consuming substances that are not good for you, so to speak. Okay, so when... When I've tried to make sense of the various strands of research on this, I've ended up thinking of disgust as the the motivation to avoid, right? To, to move away from, to distance yourself from uh, uh, certain types of things, from pathogens, toxins, um, uh, poisons, to, to get to get away from these things, or to ex- and or to expel them from your body, to expel them from your you know, from your vicinity. So to put some distance between you and things like this. And and um, I de- this is a complete speculation, sort of a speculation, but like the, the difference between things that you're disgusted by and the things that you're afraid of is that things that you're afraid of can chase you, whereas the things that you're disgusted by just sit there and you have to move away from them. Um, but anyway, so disgust is this motivation to avoid, to get away from these things. And originally, and you know, evolutionarily, it was getting away from uh, avoiding toxins and pathogens and stuff. Um, but am I right in thinking that 
the argument is that now for as a product or a byproduct or whatever um it's it, well it also um <clears throat> so you want to avoid the the dead rat that you see on the on the sidewalk but it can obviously that can extend to people you want to avoid the diseased people as because you don't want to, you don't want to catch a disease um but it's also uh been i don't know people say co-opted or it's also bit, or maybe it's not co-opted at all maybe it's just it's been opted to avoid other kinds of people you don't want to be associated with so it's to avoid um people who are uh, pe- people who are low quality for various reasons um people you don't want to do business with people you don't want to be associated with people who um would damage your reputation or um make you look low status or would cause some uh, you know would would be likely to treat treat you badly so it's a the way i understand it is it's a kind of it it is a general motivation to avoid a number of things starting fairly clearly with like you say toxins and pathogens and stuff like that including pathogenic people and then been extended to more general more symbolic types of things you'd want to avoid that's uh that is is uh correct uh, but i i want to add that in um in the sort of current literature i i believe that people would would be arguing that it's an even broader range of things that are tied to the discussed system so it's not just the things that you are uh, talking about but even extends to the level of ideas that there are certain ideas that disgust you and and in the same way that you don't want your body to contaminate it be contaminated by pathogens you also don't want your culture or your norms be contaminated uh, by particular uh, cultural practices or, or ideas so in in that in that sense uh, a lot of um, sort of discussed work had been linking discussed responses to taboos cultural taboos religious taboos uh, and and so forth well that that's interesting to have like to have impure thoughts as it as it were so what i don't i'm not sure i know apart from the taboo literature i'm not sure i know that so what's what would be do you, can you think of an example of a an idea that someone feels polluted by that isn't itself a sort of isn't by itself disgusting so i mean i, I could be I might be dis- I don't want to think about somebody um I don't know I'm making this up pick like picking their nose to 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 um to use a, fa- a fairly mild example I could think of worse but I I don't might not want to think about that but are there sort of n- things that are not objectively disgusting like that that people feel disgusted to entertain so I think if you um I I think that people can uh, can say that they feel disgusted by a, a very broad range of of ideas. So in in this regard, uh, the work of uh, Philip Tetlock uh, I think is highly relevant. So he has this notion of taboo trade-offs that there simply are particular kinds of uh, of trade-offs that we don't want to make uh, that we don't want to uh, talk about how we want to sacrifice lives for. Uh, some economic benefit or or something like that where where it's not disgusting in the pathogenic sense but where we feel uneasy uh, uh entertaining the thought for example hmm. 
All right. Uh, well, I think we're going to come back to that on the, when we come to uh, imminently when we talk about morals and politics. But yeah, that so that's my general sense of this area. That is like a you know it's like um, a dartboard. There's a there's a kind of a core idea of disgust which is relatively straightforward, and then it just it broadens out into all of these it touches all these other it contaminates all these other areas, you know, further away from the centre, and uh, then it becomes increasingly sort of diffuse and confusing to see exactly what's going on and you, you know which bits really are application of disgust and which bits of just getting muddled up with other things but um, I guess that's where it gets interesting so okay so I think we're broadly on the same page when it comes to the, the starting point so perhaps we let's um, move on to talk about start with morality the role of disgust in morality so many people approach this topic under the aegis of moral foundations theory and in moral foundations theory there is a a specific domain of morality dedicated to disgust or tied to disgust or defined by it being disgusting the domain of of uh, purity or sanctity and conversely uh, uh, impurity and um again while while there's obviously something going on there's obviously some connection between disgust and morality some overlap um i don't think uh it's as clear cut as that as that approach makes out um for a variety of reasons so i mean just on the face of it in uh the domain of purity and moral foundations theory seems to me to kind of touch on but muddle up a whole bunch of interestingly different things like um sort of some basic public health concerns public you know health hazards that that people's behaviors that um can jeopardize other people's welfare and can make other people sick for example which are quite straightforward um kind of collective action problems um along with some other things to do with sexual morality and sexual purity which is not quite the same, not the identical thing, um, and um, uh, religion as well, a whole bunch of religious religious ideas which sort of overlap. So it seems there's a whole bunch of different things even under that, even under the heading of, quotes purity, there's a bunch of interestingly different things. Um, another another problem with that, that sort of neat categorization is that intuitively and i think experimentally um people are not disgusted only by quotes purity violations they're disgusted by a whole range of different moral violations that are not that don't fall under that heading so you can be disgusted by um you know a parent who neglects their child you can be disgusted by uh, someone you know someone who someone who flouts the rules or someone who um, cheats on their taxes. You can be disgusted by, uh, you know, miscarriages of justice. You can, it's not this, that emotion the or that motivation to avoid, like, as I said before, is, is not just restricted to the violations of the things that go under the heading of purity. There, you People are motivated to avoid, you know, all kinds of people for all kinds of uh moral violations all kinds of moral failings partly because you don't want to interact with people like that and and partly because you don't want to be associated with people like that you don't want other people to think that 
you are like that person or you are you are um the kind of person that would do that or uh whatever so oliver do you let let's say we can we can make a uh sort of separation of the uh sort of an almost kantian separation of the uh uh emotion uh fürsig and uh, the 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 emotion uh ansig. so let us say that we can we can distinguish between the actual visceral feeling of the emotion of disgust and the verbal label uh, of being disgusted. So when when I say I'm disgusted with um, uh, sex trafficking, uh, people engaged in that, do I? Do I, is, is that a verbal signal of avoidance or does it sort of activate the same kind of bodily reactions uh, as if I was consuming uh, rotten bread? I, I don't, I mean, I don't, if you, you asked me about what the literature yeah. says, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, I imagine it's a, I imagine it's a, a bit of both. Um, I'm trying to think when I, last time I've been disgusted by something. Um, uh yeah i would i mean i like we were saying you get you so when you when you move from the core to the periphery of disgust um i think you move away from my guess my hypothesis would be you move away from the 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 visceral aspect of it to more similarly functional but more symbolic aspects of it and the maybe the those visceral feelings um are, are more diluted but i guess the argument would be there is there is some similar phenomenology oh my god we've had Kant and now we've had phenomenology um but uh, yeah but I'm not I'm not sure I I, th- I think it's the case that there's definitely been some criticism in the literature that the word if you just ask people about the word disgust they they interpret it more broadly as being something they disapprove of and want to dissociate dissociate themselves from um but yeah I don't know I, I would imagine there's still a kind of even at the fringes, there's still a kind of homeopathic level of core disgust in there somewhere, but I'm not sure. So, Oliver, then I would I would like to pick your brain more about um, what what is the what is then the difference between disgust and other kind of sort of emotions oriented towards avoidance. So we we talked a little bit about fear or you talked a little bit about fear but there's also an emotion such as contempt um there are emotions where you sort of morally condemn other people i don't know whether that's should be called an emotion but but um but like what what is the specific thing about disgust or is it is it one could you just as easily express contempt? Yeah. So, what, so I don't. I mean, I, I, the short answer is I don't know. I don't. I don't have a theory of all the emotions. But what, I mean, here, here's. Let me give me a. Let me answer you in a slightly different way. So, um, there was a beautiful paper I saw at HBS a few years ago, and I'll have to. I'll put the link in the show notes and I don't know any this guy presented this lovely little study and I don't know if it's true but it was a very good illustration of a different way to think about things so the the basic argument was that 
if you're cheated in a just an ordinary social dilemma, um, there's you know you experience a variety of bad of unpleasant emotions or negative emotions, including anger and disgust, for example. And the gist of it was that these these emotions do different things. Um, so anger, simplifying, anger motivates you to approach and punish the cheat, whereas disgust motivates you to withdraw from and no longer interact with the cheat. And people would you could expect people to have both of those emotions and um, and maybe do maybe do both things and punish them and then and then um, avoid them. But in the paper, he had the, the lovely manipulation in the paper was. Uh, the the cheat in one condition the cheat was high status and powerful and in another condition the cheat was low status and lack and powerless lacking in power and he in this in his study he found that people tended to be disgusted by high status cheats and and more angry to low status cheats so and the 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 argument was that um you know it's 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 more costly and difficult to to punish high status people so you know what 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 can i do about what can i do about donald trump for example i can't do i personally can't do anything all i can do is reject him and his works and move away from him um whereas the a low status person who uh, cheats me in some way i can do something about it so i am more likely to be angry and more more likely to uh, it's less costly for me to punish them to be angry so so that I think that's a very useful way of thinking about it, just thinking about the what is the underlying function of these different emotions, simplifying, let's say one is to punish, one is to avoid. There's no reason to suppose that punishing and avoiding, you know, it's not like one emotion maps onto one type of moral violation. You could, you could punish and avoid all kinds of different immoral people, all kinds of uncooperative people, and, and, the, and the mix uh, might vary in different, you know, under different conditions but you'd expect to find anger responses to all the moral violations and disgust responses to all the moral violations um to the extent that there was an anger related problem to solve like you could punish them or you could avoid them and i don't know about so i would want to apply the same kind of logic to uh to all the other things like to to fear why i don't know why do why us that's an i don't know if anyone's done that what what kinds of immoral people do we fear as opposed to be disgusted by i mean off the top i was just watching uh so i was watching a film zodiac the other day and he was pretty scary you know yeah it was a good film i didn't really like the ending i don't want to spoil it to anyone for anyone but um it wasn't the ending i was expecting uh or hoping for but anyway um yeah so i get so he's a bad person right and um, I was angry about what he did and disgusted by what he did and also a little bit afraid of him. Um, so, again, he, <laughs> in principle, people I say he can't come after me, but people like that could come after me. So being afraid of them is, a, um, is, a, is an appropriate response. Um, yeah. And I think, I don't know, but I'm not sure about contempt, um, but I think contempt is the sort of looking the looking down on and pointing out the low status ofness so yeah you just expect a blend of these you know emotions serve a purpose and you'd expect a variety of these emotions to be evoked by in different combinations in in all these circumstances 
I, I think that's that's the the right way to to think about them as sort of motivational tools that other psychological mechanisms can can employ uh, to get the organism to engage in in functional behavior. And I just want to sort of raise another complexity in in, in that regard. And this is some of the ongoing work uh, that we're doing uh, in my research group on um, on reactions, uh, uh, emotional reactions to pandemics. Uh, and we were actually doing this before the pandemic, um, where we uh, found uh, consistently that when you provided people with pandemic sort of uh, primes, then they uh, did not react with disgust, but with fear. Uh, and that mm. is also what we have been seeing now, that where we have been serving people uh, during the corona pandemic, that there are not a lot of people who are feeling disgusted out there. There's a lot of people who are afraid. Um, right. So, so, so even the even the link between pathogen avoidance and disgust might sometimes be severed. Yeah, though that's very interesting. I mean, that, that's kind of, that's that's kind of. No, that's really good because one of the what I think has happened is there is definitely something going on with disgust in morality, and but it's like the first theory that came along to explain it or to that said something about it, the the domain of purity in moral foundations. Um, I think it's exerts such a strong gravitational pull on all the research that it's difficult. It's a it's let's say, on the verge of becoming an obstacle to progress that you we can't think about it in different ways. And that's really, I hadn't even thought of that at all. That, um, you know, I wonder what the, I wonder how many studies there are of disgust and the pandemic, the ratio of disgust and pandemic studies to fear and pandemic studies. I bet it's like 100 to 1. And so there's that's just a huge, you know, blind spot. That's really interesting. It's particularly disturbing when you begin to dig in to the foundations of the of the foundations because part of this part of the gravitational pull is you assume there is something very weighty at the center and um so the the purity domain for example will cite the previous previous work um schwader's work on community autonomy divinity as being the uh the beginning of this domain of purity so it's all you know so you had schwader had thought there were three types of morality and then jonathan Haidt added uh, jiggled it around a bit but added added two more and here we are so there's you sort of start to do the archaeology on the foundations you think oh right okay well let me go back to this original study and find out what that's all about um the that original study the the schwader one that everyone cites the community on autonomy divinity study do you know what the do you know what the n of that study was Right. So it was an N of 42, 42 people, 42 Araya Indians. Um, and it was a, it was a, I'm not criticizing study. It was a, it was a, but it was a, not a usual study, right? It was, um, the, the whole paper was about um, why people's beliefs about why they get ill. And part of the belief was you get ill because you did something wrong. You did something immoral. And then, it, and then they interviewed people and said, well, what kinds of things can you do wrong and they came up with a, a lot people the, the the 42 interviewees came up with a whole collection of different things you could do wrong and then the authors of the study coded those responses into different types or did they coded them some way 
And then they did a factor analysis on their own codings, and the factor analysis came up with three, uh, three factors. Community, autonomy, and divinity. So you start off with forty-two people. You have qualitative interviews. You have you have coders, and then factor analysis, and then they, and then you have these um, these factors, and and that and now when you read people talk, so it's it's like okay, it is what it is. It's an interesting study, but it's it's a small study in one place that happened once. Um, when you read about it, you get the impression and certainly the way Jonathan Haidt talks about it, you get the impression that there's this huge literature that's shown that this is one of the things that is universal and um, you know fundamental to human nature all over the place. And it might be, but it's certainly... That one study in one, one place certainly didn't show that. Um, and as we've seen, some of the sub- more recent work has uh, not questioned whether disgust is um, universal, but certainly has unpicked the neat you know, one domain, one emotion, um, uh, that that implication of, of that, that interpretation of that whole area. And like I say, I think it's an obstacle to, to making progress to under, understand it. One, one more aspect of complexity to, to consider as well when we're considering the relationship between pathogens and, um, and disgust is that... Um, one of the things that we want to do is to avoid uh, sick people, obviously. But actually, there's also a lot of evidence that uh, another thing that we want to do with sick people is to help them. Uh, so some of the, the stuff, uh, research that we've been doing has been looking at how there's massive support for healthcare, for example. And, and there are argue, arguments uh, out there and... Uh, solid papers by, for example, Larry Sugiyama on how healthcare provisioning might have been a key driver in the, in the sort of evolution of cooperative relationships because the, the sort of randomness of, uh, of, of health problems has sort of created very, very good um, uh, selection environments uh, for co- cooperative dispositions. So, so it's really important to sort of see that, that sick people are not just people that we're trying to avoid, but in a lot of cases, we're actually trying to, to help them, especially uh, within, the, within the sort of close, uh, close family. So, so that's just another level of complexity to, uh, to consider. So, right. So some, like some disgusting things, some disease would motivate you to approach them to help them. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so I can't we can't leave just this particular topic without me mentioning the following example. So um some instances of immoral, disgusting behaviour are um they're they're immoral not because they're disgusting per se, they're immoral because they're uncooperative. They they um they they violate some cooperative principles, they, they, they sort of harm the common good in some way. Um to give a very just a very crude example you know if we if the norm is if we live in our um our uh, village or whatever um the norm might be everyone's got a poop in the east right and if because everyone's better off if everyone poops in the same place but if you have deviant poopers who poop <laughs> who poop wherever they want um who don't follow the norm then yes the, the harm that they're inflicting it happens to be a disgusting one and maybe a, a pathogen-related one. But the, the violation is that you're, um, 
you're you're causing a public health hazard that you're um you know this this random pooping has to stop uh, because you're because it's making life worse for everyone and similarly you know there's a whole, this is again a really would be a great um a great thing to know about which i don't but um you know there's the i sus- i think that the sort of the history of public health is all about this so in i mean in on london buses for example there and there used to be signs saying everywhere don't you know don't spit there's a fine for spitting because once upon a time um uh when tuber- tuberculosis i think was was very rife um spitting was a health hazard it's the same as coughing well maybe a bit more serious than coughing um at people now in the time of covid so there was a habit where people would spit on the ground they would spit on buses people would tread on it and spread it around people would people would get sick and die i mean uh you know after sex um in importance disease disease probably like the ancestrally the most important impactful thing that can happen and people people's um selfish behavior uncoordinated behavior norm violating behavior that puts other people's health and therefore lives at risk you'd expect that to be one of the most you know most severe moral violations and the one that you'd have a loads of um uh you know loads of norms and rules and regulations about um to take a completely different example which this is this was all a long-winded way of getting to this example um i read there's a great book i read called games prisoners play and again i'm going to forget all the details but it was written by a game theorist i think a polish perhaps hungarian a polish game theorist who was arrested who was arrested as a political prisoner in in poland and spent some time in prison um and he kind of analyzed you know he with a game theorist's eye he was alert to all the all the norms and social conventions that were going on in this prison and one that stuck in my mind was um oh and he and also he had to sort of that wasn't the natural his natural environment so he had to learn what all these these you know hundreds of different rules were um and one he found uh, there were severe sanctions for people who farted at the wrong time so there were like you know five guys or something in a in a cell and there were very strict rules about when you could fart it, i forget it was something like you have to fart on the hour or there was a particular time when you could fart and if people did if people farted at different times they would get sanctioned they'd get beaten up it was a very verboten thing to do and that's kind of seems a bit funny and a bit silly and everything but the, he argues that there was a logic to it that because um if everyone farts at the same time, let's say on the hour, then you only have, you know, five minutes of of smell. But if everyone's farting all over all over the place whenever they want, it's constant smell. So that everyone had to coordinate their farts um, to to adopt to you know, to uh, parp punctually, um, and it's it served a purpose. The the result was everyone everyone was you know it, it promote it was um, there was a mutual benefit. It was for the common good. Uh, and again, so the the particular activity was disgusting, as you know, it was farting as opposed to paying the right amount of dibs or sharing your cigarettes in the right way. Um, but the it, the the violation was because it was un to was it was uncooperative that it was um, mutually harmful to do. Everyone ended up worse off if everyone did whatever they wanted. Um, so yeah, um, okay. So from prisons to politics. Um, obviously, under the aegis of moral foundations theory, this idea of disgust and purity has made its way into 
um, political psychology and understanding uh, ideological differences. And the kind of classic finding is that conservatives care more about purity um, along with um, loyalty and authority than liberals do. And that also was taken a step step further in showing that physiologically conservatives cared more or were more responsive to um, to disgust to purity violations than uh, than were liberals. Um, again, it was, so that was an, it's a it's a theory. Um, it, it's um, uh, it's a start. But my understanding is that lots of aspects of that argument have now. Um, broken down so even even when you get going even at the beginning um the purity violations in moral foundations theory are not just pathogen disgust related the the questions at least refer to things like well religion things like do you um should do you approve should we do what god wants us to do um and i think sort of implicit uh, opposition to homosexuality is so one of the questions is should we do is it wrong to do what's unnatural and things like that? But certainly it's not purely discussed, it's not only discussed related, it could be religion related. So it's unclear. Uh, some of those some of the early sort of questionnaire studies are unclear. And empirically, correct me if I'm wrong, the the, the results on that although the original studies were showing this liberal conservative difference, some other some other more recent studies have shown have not show, not found those same differences and it's it's no longer as clear cut as it as it was. Um, is that an accurate summary of the literature? Yeah, I I think uh, so. The where where we are currently is that the sort of physiological uh, work on on the relationship between disgust and politics is uh, has turned out to be more unreliable than uh, we would want of our uh, science. Uh, so I think uh, that is is not uh, the case that there that there is evidence of 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 a physiological or a link between physiology and uh... and and my those physiological studies are they the things where they they just show people disgusting pictures and then they measure their heart rate or whatever yeah so i think the the, the most problematic ones are skin conductance re- response uh so we have been doing a lot of detective work uh on on this also because I've been using skin conductance response measures uh, before, but it it turns out that from my perspective, uh, the the kinds of, of the particular methods that have been used uh, are basically random digit uh, generators. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, so uh, they, are, they are extremely unreliable. Um, what the skin conductance? The skin Devices. conductance responds to a picture uh, where, where you're trying to take the baseline uh, and then you, you're measuring the baseline, then you are presenting people with a picture uh, of uh, something disgusting. Uh, and, and then you are looking at the, at, the, at the sort of skin conductance response to that uh, picture. And at least the, the kinds of methods that have been most widely used uh, in, for example, political psychology seems to be, as I said, uh, random digit uh, generators. 
It, it is wow. it is essentially impossible to compute an alpha statistic from uh, measures that should tap the same construct because they are more negatively than positively correlated. Uh, does that would that imply that all research based on skin conductivity is noise mining? Uh, that would uh, probably be uh, uh, a. Uh, stretch uh, to uh, draw that uh, implication for sure. Uh, I think that there are very, very good routes. Maybe you've got a faulty machine. Yeah, no, but we have have both uh, analyzed uh, published studies, uh, reanalyzed the data. We have conducted uh, data collection in our own lab. We have collaborated with other labs. uh, and, And it really does not seem to be a high precision instrument to uh, put it uh, mildly. I think it is what it's very, very good at is measuring individual differences uh, because there are uh, very, very strong individual differences in, in baseline skin uh, conductance reactivity. But, but exactly because of those huge individual differences, then it is almost impossible to, to, to create that sort of rise in the in the skin conductance response that you that you need in order to sort of capture uh, the reaction to something uh, so subtle uh, seemingly subtle as a as a disgusting picture so do liberals and conservatives have different baseline skin conductivity no no um. There's there's perhaps some some evidence, uh, but that's only uh, a single study suggesting that people who participate more in politics they have higher baseline skin conductance reactivity. But uh, but I I don't know whether that is is holding up. Participate more, but not on the left or the right. No, yeah, exactly. But I think that there's an, another uh, aspect of the discussed uh, politics link that is. Um, that is important uh, to to sort of get right, and where and and where there is some confusion right now. So, so the way that people have been studying this is to, when they have not done the psychophysiological studies, but for example used uh, questionnaire scales, then they have taken measures of disgust sensitivity. And and when I say they, I should also include myself because that is also what I'm doing. So measures of disgust sensitivity, and then we correlate that with political attitude variables, vote choice or whatever. And and they correlate uh, such that conservatives or in the United States Republicans have uh, higher uh, disgust sensitivity according to these scales. But, but now there is um, evidence beginning to show up to say, well, that's too simple a story. It's not because conservatives are more prone to express disgust. They are more motivated to avoid pathogens. But, and, and the reason why we are seeing this elevated disgust response in conservatives is because the scales that we have been using to measure disgust sensitivity have been pathogen focused. So if we made, if we sort of focused the discussed response on some other object, uh, such as treating the poor badly, uh, then we would see higher discussed responses among 
among liberals. Uh, so it is it's really not discussed that is the core difference between liberals and conservatives, but more the target of the discussed response. Yeah, so that's um, another kind of artifact. So one artifact is that the, talking about, like I said, the moral foundations questions are about things other than discussed like religion. Um, but the an, another line of criticism has been, yeah, if you ask people, are you disgusted by, say, homosexuality, then you get, it looks like conservatives are more disgust prone. But if you ask people, are you disgusted by polluting pollution of the environment um then qu- quotes you know liberals are more disgusted by that and more bothered so if it 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 depends in lo- i don't know entirely but it depends to a significant degree on yeah the what it is that's being defiled is it um uh, and, and if it's things that liberals care about then um you get different answers just like if you ask people about loyalty to country um, you conservatives tend to score higher, whereas if you ask them about loyalty to, you know, I don't know, to class or something, um, then or to your union, then you get then uh, liberals or people on the left score higher on loyalty. It depends who you know, what your. It's not a general measure of how loyal you are. It's a question of about which things are you loyal to, which which is obviously one of the ways liberals and conservatives differ. Um, but even when it comes to avoiding pathogens it seems to me that this year has been an amazing massive real world test of that prediction Um, so if a moral foundations theorist had pre-registered and maybe they did pre-registered predictions about what would happen uh, how liberals and conservatives would respond to a you know a massive disease that uh, infect makes you ill and kills loads of people. Um, the f- the first order prediction would have been, well, conservatives are more um, disgust sensitive. Conservatives are more pathogen. Um, what's the word? Pathogen avoidant. Pathogen avoidant. So the first order prediction would be, the conservatives would be first in line to get those masks. Right, they would be staying a million miles away from everyone else, and the liberals would be liberal. They'd be living it up and going out, and um, you know, I don't know, doing whatever liberals do, having having hookups and taking drugs and going doing whatever they wanted. Um, uh, li- you know, living free and easy, whereas the conservatives would be, you know, stuck at home with their ga- with their face masks on, and obviously, it, the. The data from the last six months in in America, at least, has completely torpedoed that hypothesis. It's been exactly the opposite with bells on, um, and so you know, as a test of, as a test, uh, it's that interpretation of the theory has massively been falsified. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's very interesting, and it's also interesting uh, for me, who are one of uh, those people who have been producing uh, study after study showing this relationship between uh, pathogen avoidance and uh, and conservative uh, attitudes, um, and I think it's um, I think it's because the 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 systems that we have for precautionary reasoning 
are more complex than we have appreciated uh, until now. So we we do have a, a set of like intuitive reactions to a threat such as a, a pathogenic uh, threat. Um, and, and most likely this, those kinds of intuitive responses, uh, they come uh, more natural to conservatives. But on top of that, uh, we also have uh, other kinds of systems that are simply focused on, on learning how to, to deal uh, with uh, a threat when we are facing when we're facing it. And, and those systems are very much uh, influenced by things like identity, coalition formation, uh, which source of information do you trust? And, and it seems that, that it's, it's those sort of uh, rapid learning systems that have, have really made most, most of the difference uh, during this pandemic. Um, and so one, one question is uh, whether the reason for that is that the, the pandemic has, despite all the, the deaths it has caused, it has still been an abstract enemy. Like we, most of us have not really seen infected people with like very visible symptoms uh, around uh, on our doorstep. Uh, it has been these sort of abstract uh, fear-inducing um, messages about uh, collapse of hus uh, the, like the hospitals and so on, and and maybe so so maybe there hasn't been that strong of a triggering of the intuitive kind of pathogen responses. But but these are all sort of post hoc speculations. But but I I very much agree that it it shows that that we are uh, that we have not figured this out yet or as as our friend daniel sneezer would uh, be saying more funding is uh, is needed well yeah more, definitely always more funding is needed one of i mean um one of the like one of the things i've been surprised by or at least surprised at how explicit it, it's been um is that or, and another kind of interpretation of of one of the things that currently is muddled up under the heading of purity. So I think that purity might include what I would call um, hawkish signals of, of high quality. So kind of dominant signals of being, being. I mean, I typically talk about um, uh, costly signals of bravery or generosity or magnanimity of, be, of, of being, you know, big um, and important um, I think it includes things like being um, intelligent and beautiful and other traits that evoke admiration and, and respect in others and uh, it's good you know uh, these are all traits that we are proud of and if we don't have those traits we are ashamed of their of their absence and so on so I think purity has got a lot to do with those those uh, to do with pride and uh, um because of that, so consistent with conservatives being scoring more high, more high in those dimensions, um, I think that conservatives might valorize those traits more. They might put a higher value on those costly signals of, of status and power. Um, and that seems to fit quite well with this surprisingly common notion that 
only the strong will survive and uh, it, people who put masks on are are submissive and 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 they've been cuckolded and that you know they're wimps for doing it whereas conservatives are strong and proud and brave and they'll take it on the chin and um you know it, that that dimension is, has come through surprisingly strongly almost you know almost sort of the opposite from the pathogen prediction so the pathogen prediction is there is a danger i will run away this the kind of pride thing the pride prediction is there is a danger i will demonstrate my awesomeness my um, formidability by running towards it and showing how tough i am and it seems that that has been you know i haven't haven't done any particular studies on that but just from my anecdotal sampling of social media that seems to be a surprisingly common theme and surprisingly common motivation um, among the right in america at least i think that's a very important uh perspective and and probably also uh helps us understand a, a lot more about what disgust sensitivity actually is. So uh, one one of those researchers who have been doing uh, a lot on, on the sort of basics of, uh, of disgust sensitivity, Sarah Hill, uh, she has been making the argument that we, we are as disgust sensitive as we can afford to be, uh, which also makes this link between social status uh, and uh, and discuss sensitivity and and an orientation towards purity and there's some empirical evidence suggesting that if you're for example uh, if you're lonely then one sort of consequence of that is that you downregulate your uh, discuss sensitivity and basically are willing to spend time with with all sorts of uh, people independently of uh, the kinds of emotion that they that they trigger in you and if you're high status you're more selective or you can afford to be more selective so you can so you can spend time with the the meek and lowly of the earth which is an appropriate sentiment to leave our listeners with as we approach this festive season (laughs) um okay well michael thank you very much for another illuminating chat uh like like i say i think there's there's lots of interesting nuggets under this topic and um i think we need to come at them from a few different angles to really uh fully extract their value so have a great break everyone and see you for a a new episode in january 2021